Welcome everyone. We're continuing our study of Simha. Today we are learning class number 43. This class will be given the Elui Nishmat, a very special woman, Ms. Marilyn Shehebar Lea Shalom, Mazal Bat Adela, by the Shehebar family. Bezrat Hashem, this class and all the growth that comes from it will be Le'elu Nishmata. Amen. Last week we spoke about <clears throat> one of the key boxes to check for a successful life. But the Mesilat Isharim speaks about at the end of the first chapter. He mentions the obvious person has to do mitzvot, person has to do good, stay away from bad things. And then he mentions La'amod ben Isayon. As we mentioned last week, one of the key elements of a person's success in life is their ability to stand up to the challenges of life. Like I mentioned last week, we spent a long time on that. But I think it's important to understand that not all challenges are created equal and there are many different types of challenges. And I think in awareness of the different types of challenges gives us a little more readiness to be able to understand the field that we're in because if you understand it, you have a much better chance at rising to the challenge and succeeding. So I don't know that we'll be able to get every type of challenge. But today we're going to focus on one type of, one area of challenges. The Torah tells us that there's a creation that Hashem made after He made the world. It's the creation of the Yetzir Hara. Hashem created for us a partner in life. His name is the Yetzer Hara. That was the name Hashem gave him. Ki Yetzer Lev Ha'adam Ra Hashem himself named him Ra. His, he, now he's not, he's not actually bad. He actually is good. Hashem created him. There's nothing in the world that was made that isn't good. It says Hashem saw the entire creation that he made, tov me'od. Not only was it good, it was very good. Nothing Hashem made isn't good. The Yetzirah actually is very good. The Midrash actually calls the Yetzirah when the Pasuk says very good, that's the Yetzirah. But his very goodness is that he's Ra. Because it's only through him and through his constant battle with each and every one of us that we are able to have free choice and that we are able to accomplish. If not for a Yetzir Hara, then there would be, there would be no free choice. People would automatically do the right thing. 
People would do the obvious things. But it is the Yetzirah that makes so many of our decisions so much more complicated. Even if we wanted to go somewhere, He wants us to be lazy. Even if we want to be calm, He wants us to yell and scream. There are so many things that we want to do, but we just find ourselves constantly struggling to actually do them. Well, that's the Yetzirah. If there would not be a Yetzirah, that Yetzirah is not something outside of us. It's something that actually is a partner in our every decision. If you can imagine that our mind has a boardroom with many seats in it and different advisors that we go to for different things, you have to remember that one of the big chairs that sits in that boardroom is the Yetzirah himself. He's right there with us in every decision that we make. He's not some outside force that just looks in to see how they can penetrate. He's in, he's right there as your main confidant. He's there. He's your best friend. He's advising you in every step of the way. And that's how it's going to stay for life. He's not leaving. As long as the person is alive, the Yetzirah that was created with him. Now, your Yetzirah and my Yetzirah and her Yetzirah are not the same. Everybody's got their own partner. Everyone's got their own type. And everyone's got to deal with their own Yetzirah. But one thing we have to know is that the battle of life, if it's going to be won or lost, is going to be based on this battle. Like the Pasuk says, Hashem tells Abraham Avinu, walk before me, tamim, and be complete. What does it mean to be complete? So Rashi says, shalem, become complete, bechol nisyonotai, through all the challenges that I send you. Hashem could have made us all complete from the get-go. Hashem made a perfect world. He made a beautiful world. A world that we would not be able to replicate, even in our imagination, on our own. He made a world that constantly does what it does without fail. The earth is moving around the sun exactly the way it's supposed to be. It's predictable. It happens the same way every single day. I mentioned on Shabbat that the date, today is September 20th. That date, the sun in New York City will appear exactly where it is right now which means September 20, next year, and the year after, and a thousand years after, the sun will be exactly in the same spot. The same sunrise, the same sunset, everything. Seems like an easy thing to happen, but when you consider that the Earth is actually flying around space, making one lap around the sun in one year, that means the Earth is traveling about 100,000 miles per hour around 
the sun, it takes one year to go all the way around. Amazingly enough, on the same exact date that it came back around, it finds itself in the exact spot, the exact formation. Lucky for us, the sun doesn't go a little bit off track closer, excuse me, the earth doesn't go off track a little closer, because then we would fry, or it doesn't go off track a little further, then we would freeze. And what's amazing is that there's no track. There's not a, there's not a track, there's not a, a pin, there's not a needle, there's not lines. Yet this earth that we're in is perfectly going around the sun with such perfection that you could time it to the millisecond, you will know exactly where the sun is going to be anywhere on earth, any day of the year, any year that you're living in and that you're not living in. Perfection. Hashem knows how to make a perfect world. But He didn't create us perfect because that's our mission in life. Our mission is to become perfect. Tamim is the calling of mankind. We're here to perfect ourselves. Hashem helps us. He will never force us because again, it has to be our choice, not His. Him making us perfect is wonderful for Him, but does nothing for us. We need to become perfect. So says Rashi, how do you become perfect? Bechol nisyonotai. It is through the challenges of life that you become shalem, that you become perfect. And one of the greatest challenges that all of us face every single minute of our lives is that we have this partner, his name is the Yetzer Hara. His goal is to destroy us. That's his mission. Remember, he's not bad. He has a job. He's an angel of God. Hashem appointed him. Your job is to take this person, not the other person, this one. The other person has another malach. Each and every one of us has an angel that is hired and created to destroy us. You know, there is an there is an illusion in the world out there that the Yetzirah is not good. And what is his mission? Most people would say his mission is to offer us an exchange. Instead of eternity, instead of Olam Haba, he's going to offer us Olam Hazeh. That's basically the fight. I'm going to give you worldly pleasures. I want you to enjoy this world in exchange for eternity, which is not really a great deal, but it's not even true. Because remember, his name, his creator called him Ra. There could be nothing good about if Hashem calling someone Ra. This creation, the Yetzirah, he's not exchanging anything. His goal is the destruction of the person. Sometimes he has to offer you an incentive to lure you in, but his goal is to destroy the fabric, every part of us from beginning to end. Next world and this world. And we can't make a mistake thinking 
that at the very least, if we follow the Yetzirah, we're at least getting this world. I'll tell you who thought that. We have today hundreds of millions of people in the world who have literally made themselves sick to the core that they can't survive a normal life. You have alcoholics, you have drug addicts, you have gamblers, you have all types of people who are literally sick, not because they got sick and caught a virus, because they themselves made themselves sick. Nobody, none of those people, at a young age, if they would be interviewed, would have asked or said that they want to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. Nobody. No 12-year-old has those types of dreams or nightmares. But it happens, and it happens quite often. It happens to a lot of people, a lot of smart people, a lot of good-looking people, a lot of people from good families. It happens to hundreds of millions of people who have made themselves sick. Now, how did that happen? Who is the culprit for such a thing happening without the person even wanting it to happen? The answer is, his name is the Yetzirah. He's a very shrewd customer. Basically, he just lures you one at a time. Your father or mother or both told you, you shouldn't hang out with that person when you were 12 years old. You said, come on, these people, what are they not? Logic would say, one second, these people are older than me. They know more than me. They have more experience than me. They've proven their love to me. They, I know that I can rely on them. I do rely on them. I know they're always going to be there for me. So if they say this is dangerous, so probably it makes sense. That's what a normal machine would have responded. But comes the Yetzirah, who's sitting on the board meeting, and says, um, are you kidding? You think those people, those antiquity, those, those ancient people of antiquity, you think those people know how to give you pleasure? You think they know how to offer you a happy life? What do they know? They're old people. They don't understand anything. And usually, young people, because it's so luring, such an argument, because ultimately, it is what you want to do. So, for the most part, I would say people actually follow that. And what are you getting for that? Your mother is promising you maybe olam haba, but the Yetzirah is offering me olam hazeh. I'm going to have pleasures now. And all of a sudden, you follow the Yetzirah's advice and you start hanging out with the wrong person. That, of course, leads you to being in the wrong places, which leads you to having more bad people in your life, which leads you to a peer pressure that all of a sudden you find yourself doing things that you never thought that you needed to do because there is no natural desire to drink alcohol. But if you're around certain crowds and you're in certain places, all of a sudden you find a need to do it because you feel a certain pressure from the people around you. And all of a sudden, one day you're down and you're not feeling good about yourself and you remembered the feeling you had yesterday because when you were drinking, you almost forgot everything about your life. This is a great opportunity for that tonight. And then the next day, and 
Before you know it, a few weeks, a few months down the line, and you are a stamped, certified alcoholic. Who, who did that? What? That was your friend. That was the friend at the board meeting when you were three, four years beforehand, when you were making a decision, he was offering you, he says, come on, these people don't know pleasure. These people don't understand enjoyment of life. What do they know? They're your old parents, they're your old grandparents. The rabbi, what does he know? He doesn't know anything. He's just this religious guy. He just reads book all day. He doesn't understand anything. You, I, we understand pleasure. Go for it, enjoy it. That's an argument from a Yetzer Hara. And step by step, again, he's not offering you pleasure. Step by step, he will destroy you. Millions of people in this country last year alone attempted suicide. Could you imagine millions of people in this country, just this country alone, attempted suicide? The most natural desire of a human being is to live. You know what your head has to look like? That you actually want to kill yourself? You know what's going on up there? You know how much pain a person has to be in to actually even think of such a thing? But there are a lot of people in pain. Who is the person? Who is the who brought him there? The Yetzirah. So it's a very bad misconception. It's an illusion. The Yetzer Hara has no desire to offer you or I anything good. Again, his lines are very sharp and his arguments are very forward thinking and he's always looking to lure you with something exciting. But at the end of the day, you just keep following that path and you will lose so much that you never realized when you were making that decision before. The Gemara says about this Yetzirah that he's mithadesh b'chol yom. He's always renewing himself. Which means that the challenges of yesterday are gone. Today you have a new one. When you were five, you had certain challenges. Now you're eight, it's different. And then you're 13, that's different. And then you're a teenager, and that's different. At every age in your life, you have new challenges. And the logic behind that is obvious. That if they would stay the same, then how many times could you sell a bad camera? How many times could you sell a fake diamond. You do it once, you do it twice. At some point you get caught and there's no more a person that's gonna run after you. They realize. So too by us. By the time we finish school, so now we figured it out. And probably most of us, if we would go back to school, we would have a whole different experience. But it's too late now because the school days are over. But now you have new challenges that you're going through. And by the time you figure them out, you're already on to your new, you know, you're figuring out how to date, and then you figure out how to get married, and then you figure out how to have children, and then you figure out how to, you just keep going to the next step in life. It's always mit hadesh. Because the hidush, the change, 
doesn't allow us to get rid of this Yetzirah. He's always presenting himself in a different way. Not only are there age differences, but also the world changes constantly. Constantly. You can't really learn 100% from what your father did, because what worked for him may not work for you. You know, very, a lot of people say, that's what my father did, that's what I do. That worked for your father. It may not work for you. You have to read the map today. You have to understand what are the challenges of today. There are people who had to deal with communism. There were people that had to deal with the Greeks and their Olympics and their way of life. Today, if you are going to battle the communists in your home, if that's going to be your mission, you are out of your mind because that's not your challenge. You're going to go study history with your children and tell them the communists are no good and look what they did and look at that. Don't ever follow them. What are you doing? A hundred years ago, that might have been something in Europe. Today, it's not. So you have to be up to date. Mit Hadesh. Yesterday's Yetzirah has already been figured out. He comes to you today with a new look, with a new idea, with a new way of bringing you down. Not only that, the Gemara says, that he's mitgaber b'chol yom. Mitgaber means he actually gets stronger. What does that mean he gets stronger? Means that as you get greater in life, you know, you might think, but I was not so connected. I was not so observant. My Yetzirah, really? He was the main decision maker in that board meeting. He was there. But as I went to classes and I'm learning and understanding it, I feel that I now have a much clearer understanding of how to make good decisions. Guess what happens? The same decisions that in early years took a very light Yetzirah to get you, today you're much smarter. Today you're much more prepared. Now what happens? The Yetzirah gets stronger. Not necessarily a new face. The same face, the same challenge, but it makes it harder for you. He's mitgaber. That's what the Gemara says. Kol gadol mehavero. Anyone who becomes greater, don't think as you become greater in life, you became a great rabbi. You became a great woman. You became a great grandmother. You became a great... It doesn't matter what you became great at. At the end of the day, you have to know that the Yetzirah is graduating with you as you get greater. You get greater, he gets greater. You become stronger, he gets stronger. You're never going to let him go. He's never leaving you alone. No matter how special you think you are, no matter how wonderful you think you are, no matter how many classes you're attending, no matter how much kindness you're doing, no matter how many mitzvot you're involved in, you can never look at yourself and say, me, Baruch Hashem, I'm done with that guy. I threw him out of the boardroom. He's not coming back again. It's not happening. The minute he's out of the boardroom is the minute we go into the Olam Haba. This world, as long as we're alive, he is the partner for life. And as we get stronger, he gets stronger. Why? Because if we got stronger and he stayed, if, if I had a Yetzirah today of the same things I had when I was five, it would be a no-brainer. It would be so easy for me. So he has to grow with me. Because otherwise there are no nisyonot. There are no challenges. The Yetzirah of a five-year-old 
is not the same as the Yetzirah of a 50-year-old who is a great scholar. You know, a great Talmud Hacham, for example, when he was three, four, seven, eight, ten, they opened the book in front of him and they told him, come on, let's learn. No, nah, I don't want to learn. I'm not really in the mood. I'm tired. I'd rather go play ball. I'd rather go to sleep. I'd rather lay down. I'd rather play with my friends. But you think, when he was 50 years old, 60 years old, you think that a baseball game in the backyard is going to lure him to stay away from his books? Of course not. At that point in his life, he can't wait to learn. He can't wait to go through the sugya and understand it. So if you presented him with the Yetzirah of when he was a 10-year-old, that Yetzirah today is a no match. So what does the Yetzirah do? He has to strengthen himself according to your level that it should be continuously a challenge. So he changes and he grows. He gets stronger. And all for one reason. Because life without nisyonot, life without challenges, today we're talking about spiritual challenges, life without spiritual challenges does not produce any great product. Heye tamim. You have to be shalem. How do you become shalem? Through the nisyonot. Through that yetzerah. So the yetzerah is a good friend actually. Although he comes as an enemy. But his goal is to raise us and to become great people. By the way, <clears throat> on the last point that we mentioned, you know, we speak about sometimes we, we learn Tanakh and we see how there was a very strong Yetzir Hara for idol worship, Avodah Zarah. And when we look at that, we say, come on, what, how, how trivial were these people? How backwards were they? I mean, who bows down to rocks? Who's going to bow down to the sun? Why would they worship animals? What are they doing? We look at them as people who don't have too much sophistication. But it's not true. If we were living, the Gemara says that Rav, Rav excuse me, Rav Ashe had a dream that, talking to Menashe. Menashe was one of the Jewish kings that was not a very big tzaddik. He did a lot of bad things in his life. Idol worship was one of them. And Rav Asher was talking to him in a dream. And he told him, I don't understand you guys. You're such hachamim you were. You were so wise in that generation. Why would you serve idols? What are you doing? You know, we know the earlier generations, the earlier generations were great people. Rav Asher was shocked. How could Menashe in those times with the Beta Migdash and the Nevi'im, what are you doing? You're serving idols? Even we don't serve idols. Me and you, we're not very big tzaddikim, but we don't serve idols. You'll never find any of us here standing by a rock and saying, I love you, please help me. We would never do that. Rabbi Asher tells Menashe, I don't get you. You're much smarter than we are. You had much more chokhmah than we have. What were you doing? The Gemara says, Menashe told him, he said, I promise you, if you were there, you would have lifted your pants to run very fast, just so you would be able to serve the idol. Which means, which means, that 
It's opposite of what we think. It's because they were so great. In those days, there were spiritual goals in life. People wanted to accomplish spiritually. In order to give them a yetzer hara that would be on the level for such a great person, it needed to be a spiritual yetzer hara. It needed to be something to live life for. Today, we don't need that. Today, this, the yetzer is to rip your jeans. I mean, that, that's it. If you to, they tell you rip your jeans or, or drive a car or, or go on a vacation, it's very low type of yetzer it's not really bringing down very many great people. It's talking to the lower element of society. But as society becomes great, when the person becomes great, you can't attract them with a, with a food or a drink or, 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 or smoking a cigarette. That's not going to take it for a great person. For a great person, you need a great yetzerah. So the yetzerah of Avodah Zarah actually was a yetzerah for great people. It was a yetzerah where there was now a mission. There was a purpose. There was a meaning to life. It was the wrong meaning. It was the wrong purpose. But it was nonetheless talking their language. They were people who lived for a higher purpose. And therefore, the yetzerah was selling a higher purpose. Today, when people don't live for a higher purpose, so it's all physical. It's all low-grade type of 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 yetzer of hanaot of physical pleasures. Paro, you know the famous story of Paro. Paro, Hashem promises Moshe Rabbeinu that Paro, even with all the makot, with all the plagues and all the destruction that's going to come upon Egypt. With all of that, Paro, Hashem says, I'm going to harden his heart. He's not going to listen to you. So the Mefarshim ask, if Paro, Hashem stepped in to harden his heart, so why is he being punished? He had no free choice. If Hashem basically grabbed them and says, you cannot decide to let them go because I'm hardening your heart. So why is it his fault? He didn't do anything wrong. One of the answers to this question, it's a Midrash, it's a Midrash, also bring it, is that in order to create free choice, Hashem had to harden his heart. In order to give him free choice, what does that mean? It's very simple. If a person is experiencing the first Makkah, Dam. Moshe warns you, let my people go. If not, you're going to see destruction in this country. Okay, I'll, um, let me see. He brings on the Makkah, Dam. Blood. The whole country destroyed. Comes the next time. Listen, let my people go. If not, remember Dam? Get you another one. Let me see again. Maybe first, you know, maybe we was lucky first. Again, second time. Third time. Fourth time. How many times is your country going to get destroyed till you realize this is real? I better just let these people go and live our lives comfortably. This is not good. Even the people in Egypt, they told Paro, what are you doing? 
Did you, do you not realize our country is destroyed? And then after 10 makot, Moshe Rabbeinu is 10 for 10. The country is destroyed. They finally, he lets them go. And then what does he do? He runs after them into the Yam Suf. What are you doing? Which normal human, Paro, was never accused of being foolish, of being a tipesh. He was a smart man. He was a leader of a big country. He wasn't a dumb person. So how could he do that? What, what? Anyone reading the story, it's like, what, what are you doing? Even though we read it every year, so we know the ending. So we say, oh, come on, are you doing that again? But in reality, even if you read it for the first time, if you have your eyes open, you wonder, what kind of guy is this? Where, where does he get his decision-making uh, ideas from? So the truth is, the truth is, we would probably not do what Paro did. You would say, go. But that's precisely the problem. When Hashem makes it so obvious that He needs to let them go. So letting them go means that you have no free choice. It's like a person going on the end, go to the top of the Empire State Building and they tell you, listen, if you want to jump, jump. Usually we close the windows here. We don't let people jump. But today, it's a special just for you. If you'd like to jump, nobody's stopping you. In fact, we're going to open the doors. If you want to jump, it's nice. Now, probably you're not choosing to jump. Would anyone say, oh, well, that, was a, that was a great choice? Really great choice? Is that even called free choice? The answer is probably not. That's not called free choice. What free is there about that choice? You know for a fact that if you jump, it's over. You know exactly what's going to happen to you. So it's not called free choice because you have so much clarity. You understand the consequence so well that it's not called free choice. Para'o, with all the makot that he was getting hit by, got so much clarity that he needs to let the Jewish people go. That if he would actually let them go, it would not be free choice. So in order to give him free choice, Hashem takes his Yetzer Hara and makes it much more powerful. So that there could be a balance where now, since he's getting so much clarity, he has also a very powerful Yetzer Hara to counter that. So to give him free choice, Hashem created a Yetzer Hara that was much more powerful for that situation. Let's talk about the spiritual challenges of life and how they affect us every day. What are some of the <coughs> weapons of our Yetzer Hara when it comes to our spiritual well-being. At the end of the day, what does it mean, our spiritual well-being? It's a very simple formula. Not complicated. Hashem created us 
our neshama is our essence, that's the only part that remains with us. The neshama is our true identity. He gave us a body like clothing over our soul. Our mission in life is to take this neshama and just keep polishing it and polishing it by having good character. By if, if, if it's a Jewish neshama, it's by having the direction of the Torah and the mitzvot to refine our character and to refine our actions and that we should be full of chokhmah. We have all this guidance to take our neshama and to produce something very, very special, something very beautiful. This is our life mission. Yetzirah, obviously, is going to fight that. One of his weapons is, he's going to tell you that if you go my way, this is probably his biggest weapon, if you go my way, he'll say, I understand, you're right. Maybe those things may bring you to a higher spiritual elevation. I got it. I hear you. I can't argue with that. But I'm going to give you something that you're not going to get over there. I'm going to give you pleasure. I'm going to give you hana'a that you wouldn't be able to get over there. At the end of the day, what is luring a young man or a young lady into going against the direction of the Creator. You have to be out of your mind to take the Creator's directions and say, you know something? You don't know what you're saying. Let me do it my way. Who would do that? Why would anyone do that? Answer is, the Yetzirah is saying, listen, listen, Hashem's direction, no question, who can argue with that? Who can argue? Of course, that's Kadosh. It's holy to do that. It's beautiful. It's eternal to do that. You're 100% right. I can't argue with that. But don't you want to enjoy it right now? Don't you want to enjoy your life right now? And of course, all of us are attracted to pleasure. The Yetzirah is going to sell you pleasures in exchange. At least that's what you think. But it's really not that way. Rosh Hashanah is coming. On Rosh Hashanah, Hazal tell us, that Hashem decides how much parnasah you will have for this coming year. Now, parnasah, people think, means money. It doesn't mean they're going to tell you how much money you're going to make. Parnasah means they're going to give you all the necessary tools for this coming year. Some, they're going to give more tools. Maybe more money is more tools. It's not only money. It could be they're going to give you more health, it's going to give you all the different tools that you need to have a successful year. So the Rosh Hashanah is deciding all the tools for this coming year. One of the tools that Hashem gives us, because it helps us in life, one day we'll talk about that in a separate class, is living with pleasure. Pleasure helps us in life. Pleasure assists us in life. When we live with happiness and pleasure... It makes us better. It gives us the chance to do a lot more. The more pleasure we have in our lives, the more satisfaction we have, the more we're going to be able to do. Happy person is able to do a lot more than an unhappy person. Good. 
So that means on Rosh Hashanah, it's also being decided how much pleasure you're going to have this coming year. So when the Yetzirah comes and says, let me offer you pleasure, you might be thinking, oh, wow, if I take this pleasure, I'm going to have something now that I'm not going to have otherwise. But it's not true. All you're doing is exchanging one pleasure for another. Because the amount of pleasure you're going to get this year is already set from Rosh Hashanah. There are a certain amount of pleasures that each person is going to get every single year. And you're not going to make extra pleasures because you follow the Yetzirah. I'm going to give you an example. There's a guy in the winery business. He opened up a retail wine business. He bought a very big barrel of wine. He put a faucet on the barrel. And people would come in self-service. They'd bring their bottle. They'd fill up their bottle. And they would pay retail for each bottle that they fill up. The barrel would cost him $1,000. He would sell retail from that barrel $2,000. One barrel was finished. He had an extra $1,000. He bought another barrel. Now he's got two barrels, two faucets. Finally, he built this beautiful business. He has 100 barrels in his store. And people are just waiting online to come in with their bottles and fill up. There was a fellow who was watching what's going on. This is a great business. He sees people waiting online to fill up. He had a great idea popped into his mind. He goes over to the store owner. He says, listen to me. He says, I want to buy your business. He says, how much are you going to pay me? He says, I'll pay you $2,000 for each, for each case, for each uh, barrel. It's a great deal. He pays him $2,000. He $2,000, says, you know what? I'm not going to sell to you. He says, I'll pay you more. I'll pay you $3,000. He gives him $3,000. They sign, he sells him the business. Now, the, the guy's thinking, what's he going to do? He paid me $3,000 a barrel. They could only go for $2,000. The most they could produce is $2,000. He sees the guy going to the store. Opening day, under new management. He goes and he puts four faucets in each barrel. The guy had a, what a, he had a genius idea. He says, why are they only filling up one faucet per barrel? It was so silly. There's room for more faucets. He puts four faucets per barrel. So now instead of a hundred faucets, or day one, he has 400 faucets. And the customers are coming in. They used to have 100 customers in the store. Now they have 400 customers in the store. He's looking in. He's saying, what a guy. He sold it to me for so cheap. Look, look how much I'm making here. After a day, he has no more wine. He goes to the, to the owner. He says, you told me that a barrel normally lasts about six to seven days. You cheated me. One day in and there's no more wine. He said, what are you doing? He said, I don't know. He goes to look. He sees the guy put four faucets. When you put four faucets, you're not getting more wine out of the barrel. It just comes out faster. But you end up with the same amount of wine. 
You have to know that's exactly the way it works with pleasures. Hashem gives each person a certain amount of pleasures in their barrel for the year. You're not getting more. That's how much pleasure, happiness you could have every second. But pleasures, you're going to have an amount that's given to you in that barrel. You want to take it one faucet at a time. You want to take it five faucets. You take it the way you like, but you're not getting more. So the person who falls for the lure of the Yetzirah, he says, come on, if you're not going to go with me tonight here, you're going to miss out on the pleasure. And of course, for many of us, that seems like a good argument because we like pleasures. So we go all in and we think that we just gained extra pleasures that we wouldn't have had if we didn't go. That's a ta'ut. It's a mistake. There are no more pleasures in his ability to give you. He's working with the same barrel that you already have. He cannot make new barrels. In fact, his name is the Yetzer Hara. The word Yetzer is Lashon Yotzer. He, he creates things. It's basically, he creates an illusion. He has no pleasures to offer you. He's working with what you already have. He just wants you to put a different faucet. He just wants you to use it for something that A, isn't good for you, isn't healthy for you, and at the end of the day, you're going to be bankrupt because you're not going to have the pleasures that were really there for you in the healthiest of ways. That's his first attack on people. Of course, we're talking now when he attacks the simple people, the simple young man, the simple, the simple teenager out there in the street. What is he getting being pulled by? What's the Yetzirah selling him? He's selling him very simple things. Take the pleasures now. Because if you don't follow me, you're not going to have them. If you follow your father, if you follow your mother, you're not going to have the pleasures that I'm giving you. Look, they're telling you not to go. I'm telling you to go. And when you come home, you say, hey, that was great. I wouldn't have had that if I didn't go. That's his sell. Selling pleasures. But don't forget, you're not getting any more than you have for yourself. I want to take you to a new level in this area so you could be very well aware. You know, and we've learned this many times, that Hashem will never give you a nisayon spiritually that you cannot handle. Of course, every kind of nisayon. But spiritual nisayonot. We struggle with so many things. We struggle with Shabbat sometimes. Some of us struggle with Kashrut. Some struggle with Sinirut. Some are struggling with all different types of things. We struggle. We know the struggles of spirituality. <laughs> you and I have both learned many times that Hashem will never give you a spiritual struggle that you cannot succeed. And by the way, if you want a proof from that, from the Torah, I'll give you one. There are a few proofs, but I'll give you probably the most clear proof. It's the proof from the halakha of the soldier who goes to war and he finds this beautiful woman in wartime, a non-Jewish woman, and he wants to marry her. 
Okay, what's the question? You can't marry a non-Jewish woman. Nothing to talk about. Open and shut case. That's what I would have said. That's what you would have said. Nothing to talk about. Comes the Torah and says, no. The soldier at war, if there is such a situation, we're going to have to let him take her. There's certain conditions, but bottom line, she is mutar. She is allowed for this soldier. She's never allowed to anybody under any circumstance. But for the soldier, it's allowed. Now, Hazal are very disturbed by this, as you can imagine. What? Why? So the Gemara says, Masechet Kiddushin, says the Gemara, that the Torah, Hashem knows that this guy, this soldier at war, I'm not going to go into it now, why? But bottom line is, wartime doesn't allow him to make a good decision. He cannot control himself in this predicament, for whatever reason. And since he can't control himself, and I know he's going to end up doing the wrong thing, better that I tell him to do it with a stamp of approval than he should do it without a stamp of approval. Interesting. Something to study when we have a chance. But what do you see from here? You see a very powerful message from here. You see that if Hashem thinks that you can't do it, then he will tell you to do it. So if every other place in the Torah, Hashem says, I want you to do this, or I don't want you to do this, and you feel like, can I really handle that? Is that really within my ability? Maybe I can't do it. This parasha of the Eshet Yefat this Halakha that we just learned proves to me and you that we could do it. Because Hashem is mindful of us that if we couldn't do it, He would say, then you no longer are relevant in this Halakha. So every Halakha in the Torah, every spiritual challenge that we have, we're definitely capable of handling. Hashem would not tell us to keep Shabbat kehilchata if we can't do it. Hashem would not tell us to act in such a way if we can't do it. Hashem would not give us Yom Kippur to fast if we can't do it. There is nothing spiritually that you cannot do. Sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we feel, that's like, that's beyond my league. That's beyond my ability. It's not true. It's only beyond what you yourself have made boundaries around yourself. Never look at spiritual struggles, you know, when it comes to physical struggles. So those depends on the person. Some people can handle it, some people can't handle it. Hashem will only give the people who can handle it. But when it comes to spiritual struggles, we all are struggling the same way. Because we all have the same mitzvot, and we basically have the same expectations. There's a basic baseline expectation of every Jew. Yes, some people are asked to do more things, but as far as the baseline 613 mitzvot, Shulchan Aruch, we are all the same. There's no difference. Nobody can come to me and say, no, I don't think this mitzvah is within my ability. The only one who thinks that is you. You basically convinced yourself or somebody convinced you or brainwashed you that you can't do it. That's all. So when you look at another person doing something spiritually and you say, I can't do that, that's your own decision. It's not the reality. Because the reality is, 
every commandment in the Torah took into account every single Jew that would live from Moshe Rabbeinu till today. And therefore you're part of those people. So if the Torah speaks to you, if Shohan Aruch says, this is the halakha, then that means Hashem already knew that He was talking to you. He knew what you're capable of and He still told you to do it. In the spiritual world, there is nothing that you could say it's above my ability. Again, physical challenges, world challenges, that Hashem measures each person and no person gets the same challenges. But in the spiritual world, we all have the same mitzvot. Some are harder than others, of course. For some people it's harder. But nobody could say, I can't do it. Nobody could say, I cannot pray with a minyan. There's no such thing. Nobody could say, I'm not capable of eating the right things or being in the right places. Nobody could say that. Because once a mitzvah was given, like we see here by the Yifatoan, when Hashem gave the mitzvot, He took into account every single person. And if there would be an exception, He told you, this is an exception. This guy is an exception, he could do it. Otherwise, if there's no exception, that means you can. But there's an exception. There's an exception when perhaps there's a type of nisayon spiritually that maybe you can't do. I don't want to say can't. Maybe it's a very hard, strong term. But very, very difficult. And it could be that you'll find yourself certain times in spiritual challenges that you feel are really impossible for you. It can be. When is that? Which type of spiritual challenge? Again, I just gave you a rule. Spiritual challenges of all kinds are within your ability. Some of them may be challenging, some of them may be hard, but they're within your ability. But some, there is one type of a spiritual challenge that can feel very difficult, nearly impossible. I just don't want to say the word impossible because I don't, I'm not qualified. I don't think it's impossible. But it's going to be super, super human to be able to, to face and succeed in that challenge. What is that? It's the challenges that we bring upon ourselves. When you bring a nisayon upon yourself, you walked yourself into a nisayon, then you're left on your own. Which means, through the spiritual challenges, you have a yetzerah, very powerful, Hashem is there to help you as well. Like the Gemara says, Hashem helps you. But when you yourself decided to put yourself in the nisayon, if you volunteered to take on that nisayon, that spiritual challenge, Hashem says, you're on your own. I'll help you with the challenges that are there for you, that I send you. When I send you a challenge, I'm going to help you get out of it. But if you choose your challenge, I'm out. 
you're on your own. Figure it out. And on our own, we're going to feel pretty much impossible that we can do it. And if you tell me, give me an example. I'm going to give you one. There's a few examples. I'll give you one powerful example. Before I give you the example, this perhaps explains what we say every morning in Birkot HaShahar. We say, Hashem, please, do not bring us do not bring us to challenges. And don't bring us to shame. So question one is, we're learning last week, this week, and next week, we're going to be learning about the greatness of challenges. That challenges are one of the bigger boxes in life to check off. What are you asking Hashem, don't bring me to Nisayon? Imagine we would say in the morning, Hashem, please, don't give me any mitzvah opportunities today. Please, please, no mitzvah today. Do me a favor. I mean, if you give them to me, I'll do them. But please, Hashem, don't give me any mitzvot. I don't want to help anybody today. I don't want to give charity today. I don't want to pray today. I don't want, to, I don't want nothing today. Please, no mitzvot today. Could you imagine us saying that? Would you say that? Would you say, Hashem, that would be like, what? What are you saying? What do you mean mitzvah? And why would that be the wrong thing to say? At the end of the day, if there are no mitzvot, so you're exempt. What's the big deal? The reason is, what do you mean? It's the purpose of life. What do you, what do you mean you're asking for no mitzvot? That's your ticket to a successful life. You need mitzvot. Well, the same thing about nisyonot. We're learning that nisayon is no different than mitzvot. You need challenges. Like Rashi says, you want to be shalem? You need challenges. So what are you telling God? Don't bring me nisayon. What does that mean? And what does it mean that the follow-up is and don't bring me to shame? Why is nisayon bringing you to shame? Nisayon brings you higher. Why are we assuming the worst? That a nisayon is going to bring me down. Where's the, where's the optimistic thinking? Perhaps this is talking about not the regular challenges that we go through in life, that we all share. We all share laziness. We all share a certain amount of desires for certain things that aren't good for us. We all share those. It's talking about a nisayon that you bring upon yourself. That nisayon you don't want. You don't want nisayonot that you chose. Hashem, please help me not to bring myself to nisayonot because those are going to end up in shame. Those are going to be a bizayon. Those are going to be very difficult to manage with. So where is there an example that I could share with you in Tanakh of such a situation. There is no better example, I don't think. It's a Gemara that we touched on last week, but I told you I'll get back to the rest. It's a story with David HaMelech. David HaMelech tells Hashem, why am I not the fourth leg of the... Why don't they say my name in the Amidah? We said this last week. Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov, Elohe David. How come I'm not... I'm, I'm the fourth leg of the royal chair of Hashem, whatever that means. So I made it to a certain level. Why am I excluded from the Amidah? Hashem tells him, what do you mean? You did not have 
the same nisyonot, the same challenges as they. Of course, he had nisyonot too, but not like them. They were in a different league. They're in the big leagues, you're in the minor leagues. You had nisyonot, but not like them. Therefore, because you're lacking the nisyonot, you cannot be in the Amidah. Okay? That's what we said last week. What is Hashem, what is David, what is his reaction to this? He tells him, Amar lefanav, he says, Bore olam, olam, master of the universe, Behaneni Adonai v'naseh. So go ahead. So test me. What are you telling me that I wasn't tested like them? Test me. See what I'm made of. Behaneni, it's a pasuk in Tehillim. Behaneni Adonai v'naseh. Test me. Give me a nisayon. I'm ready. Listen to Hashem's answer. Amar, Hashem says, Min sanalach, I'm going to test you. Listen to this. Ve'avidna milta behadach. And not only am I going to test you, I'm going to give you an advantage over the avot. I'm going to do something in this nisayon that I would never do for them, but I'm going to do it for you. But you're still going to fail. I'm going to tell you ahead of time what the Nisayon is going to be. That's a big deal. You know, a lot of times during challenges, we fail without even realizing we went through a Nisayon. You know, if someone right now would tell me, listen, tonight's wedding, you're going to be there with a thousand people in the middle of a quiet hall. One guy's going to stand up and he's going to embarrass you in public. He's going to curse you. This is going to be your Nisayon tonight. How you handle yourself is going to determine a lot of future things that are coming to you. Your Beracha is right there. So get ready. From now till then, by the way, I'm waiting. I can't wait. I'm ready. Okay. Cool. When is he going to stand up? When is he going to talk? I am ready to face challenge. Why? Because I was told ahead of time. But if I'm at a wedding tonight and all of a sudden I'm out of left field, something happens and I get shocked, all of a sudden I'm reacting and I didn't even realize it was a Nisayon. So knowing ahead of time what the Nisayon is going to be is a tremendous help. Hashem says, I'm going to give you a Nisayon and better than them, I'm going to tell you ahead of time what it's going to be. And let's see how you do. And of course, as we all know, David Amelach failed. He gave him the Nisayon, and he failed, even though he told him ahead of time. Now, David Amelach's image is something we can't even imagine what that looks like. The greatest rabbi you ever saw in your life, the greatest rabbi you ever heard about, doesn't even light a match next to David Amelach. His Kedushah, his greatness, his everything. But yet, with all of that, when he chose to take on a Nisayon, and with the advantage of a heads up, he still failed. Because when you walk into a Nisayon, Hashem says goodbye. I'll see you later. You're on your own. You took this on your own? You're on your own. 
And when you're on your own, you're going to have a very difficult time. That's what it means. Hashem, please help me that I shouldn't walk into Nisyonot. Because that's going to bring me Lide Bizayon. That's going to bring me to shame and embarrassment. Like we see by David Amela. Now you might be sitting there and saying, one second, what does that have to do with me? I'm not talking to Hashem. I'm not asking him for this, you're not. Hashem is not listening to me anyway. I'm not on that level. Like, what is this class for? David Amelech is gone many years ago, and nobody liked him. So, this is such a halacha lemaaseh, you can't imagine. This is so relevant, you can't imagine. How many situations in life that we, ahead of time, walk into the Nisyonot and then we fail. Simple example. You're going to get a job. Why do you have to get a job? Because you need money. You need money to live. You need parnasa. You found a great job by a horrible environment in your office. The people are abusive. Everyone's cursing. Everyone is a let's, cynics. Just a terrible environment. The people there, each guy is smoking something else. But it can make you good money. But you're a clean person. You don't, you don't do that. You don't curse. You don't cheat. You don't smoke. You don't drink. You're, not, you're a clean guy. But you need to make money. So that became an option for you. There are other options, but that's an option. And you decide to take that job. That's called walking yourself into a nisayon. What do you think is gonna happen when you spend eight hours a day in such an environment? It's just a matter of time where things are gonna grow on you. And then you're gonna say to yourself, oh my goodness, I failed today. I took a drink, I took a puff, I cursed today, I failed today. No, no, correction, you didn't fail today. You failed a long time ago. You failed when you walked in by your own choice. You walk into the wrong business, you already made a bad choice. Whatever happens after is just a product of your bad choice that you already made where you choose to live, what city you choose to live, what people you surround yourself with. Of course, there could be other places to live, maybe cheaper places to live, maybe better quality of life in certain ways. But when you take into account where you live, some people, they live because they want to be close to their office. I want to be next to my office. It's very nice. But do you understand what not they are, where you're choosing to live? Do you understand you're walking yourself into a lion's den with all the different distractions that happen in your life? I happen to have a conversation this summer with somebody. He's having a very hard time in his life. Very, very hard time in his life. 
married men with children having a very hard time. And through the conversation of a few hours, it became very clear to both me and him that he's living in the wrong place. He was living in the city. I'm not saying everyone in the city is living in the wrong place. That's a conversation for each person. But this guy, wherever he was and whatever he was doing in his life, he is clearly in the wrong place. Because all of his challenges come from the same place. That's called walking to Nisayon. If you talk to the guy, he wants not to do what he does. But he can't. Can't do it. And he feels he can't do it because he's too weak. But we're learning today, he can't do it because he put himself in the wrong place. God left him. You're on your own. What are you living here for? It's not for you. Whether you choose the wrong place to live, the wrong place to work, the wrong place to go to school. People go, sometimes they finish school, they go to universities, they go out of town, they're even in town. Where are you going? What are you trying to achieve when you go? Can you get it somewhere else? Is there another option? Being around such an environment is not simple at all. You're walking yourself into a Nisayon. I remember I read once in a book, a great rabbi, he wanted to be a doctor, he wanted to be a psychologist, to be able to help people. I believe it was Rotorsky. Allah Shalom passed away. And he writes in his book how it was a very big struggle, how he's going to go to a, a college. He wanted to go to get his degree so he could help people, but at the same time, it's a big struggle. But he had to go. Sometimes you have to go. And sometimes you live where you live. It is what it is. And sometimes you have to work in certain places. I'm not saying you walk around life with your eyes closed. I'm not saying that either. But you got to make good choices. But this situation was hard. But if you saw the back and forth, he writes to the stipler, I remember. I don't remember the exact wording. When he went to the stipler, Chaim Kedevsky's father, what should I do? How do I protect myself? So he gave him, okay, Shabbat, you have certain things to do. You have to learn in the morning an hour. You have to learn at night an hour. You got to be this. You can't be there. You, okay? Sometimes, even if you're in a difficult environment, but you got to make a plan. You can't just sit there and do nothing. Sometimes people do have to go to places where it isn't exactly beautiful. It's not Har Sinai. It's not the Beit HaMikdash. Okay. But you, you can't just go in without any hashbon. You got to have a plan. So when you put yourself in the wrong place, you go to the wrong party, you're done. You, you already put yourself out. You're in the wrong place. You're with the wrong people. If you decide to go somewhere with the wrong people doing the wrong things, it's not that you messed up when you got there. You already messed up way before. Because you put yourself in a nisayon. You know what's going to happen when you go to this place. You have an idea. You're smart. And you decide to walk in, no problem. Without any protection. Without any plan. That's called, you're putting yourself in a nisayon. And don't be shocked where you feel helpless. That, well, what else could I have done? It was impossible in that situation. You're right. Because you chose it. That's a big no-no in the world of spiritual challenges. The ones that Hashem, excuse me, that Hashem gives, Hashem is with you. With a little effort 
and a little thought, Hashem will be there for you and you'll get out of it. You bring yourself, and I'm sure, I'm talking to everybody here, I'm sure you've been in situations in life where you felt it was impossible to do the right thing. I'm sure you've been in those situations. And the way we're learning today, it probably was. But the problem is because you chose to be there. Even sometimes a person walking the streets, a young man walking the streets, certain streets are better than other streets. So you got to choose the right street. Yes, nobody expects you to walk with your blindfolds. But you got to choose the right street. You have a choice. Don't put yourself in a Nisayon. Make sure your electronic devices are appropriate. Don't bring yourself to a Nisayon. You put yourself into a Nisayon, things are going to go wrong. You give your child the wrong device, you're putting them in a Nisayon. I don't know how that works. You're putting them in this. I don't know. Helps them, doesn't help you. I don't know. I don't know the exact. But bottom line is, when you put yourself in this, it's a problem. You're watching the wrong things. You're watching the wrong. You could be an adult. You know, we're brainwashed in America. That if you're 17, you can watch anything you want. It's only restricted for young people. But old people can do whatever they want. They can watch anything. They're no problem. It's not true. Your eyes are very, very powerful. My eyes are very powerful. What we watch and what we hear makes a big difference. And you're going to see things in life that aren't that great. You're going to hear things that aren't that great. But that's the things that happen to you. Sometimes somebody asks me, so what, do you, what should I do? I should have walked the streets? You should walk the streets. But when Hashem sends you a Nisayon, He gives you a power pack with it. And you'll be able to handle it. When you decide to walk, in the wrong places, then you're on your own. It's a very big difference. So this is halakha le'ma'aseh. This is not just something for David HaMelech. Al tevienu lide nisayon. We would be probably shocked of how many challenges that we're not standing up to because we walked into it ourselves. There was once a guy who was driving he was doing 200 miles per hour on a side street. That's pretty fast. As he's driving, some guy suddenly opens the door to his car. He doesn't have time to stop. The door comes off and the guy gets hurt. They took him to court. They caught him on camera, they had everything. The judge gave him Two years in jail, revoked his license, gave him a hefty fine. Judge says, you have anything to say? He says, yes. He says, it was impossible for me not to hit the guy. He opened the door 20 feet before I got there. There's no way I could call stop. There's no way I could stop the car. I'm anus. Anus means... I couldn't do anything about it. How can they punish me if I couldn't do anything about it? So the judge told him, you're not getting punished for not stopping. You're getting punished for doing 200 miles per hour. That's where it's at. Not 
the end. That's what we're saying today. When you put yourself in an isayon, you put yourself in the wrong, wrong, you know, some people, some people, not everybody, some people, certain social environments are poison for them. For some people, it's poison. They, they can't deal with it. Other people, they could deal. You can't. Don't go there. Anything that you know yourself that is your weakness, you have to be careful. That's a spiritual challenge that we don't want. La'amod. We don't want that one. Now I want to share with you something very, very beautiful. And also halakha l'ma'aseh. I hope you appreciate it. A story that all of us are so familiar with, which I don't need to repeat because I know everybody knows it. The story of Abraham Avinu. The story of a man at 100 years old who had a surgery, who was in pain. A man who dedicated every day of his life to help people, it's an amazing thing. He didn't do it, you know, some people they have like hesed days. I do hesed on Mondays, that's my hesed day. If you go to on Tuesdays, no, no, my hesed is Monday. I don't do hesed on Tuesday, I do it on Monday. That's my hesed day. Okay, I, I, you know, you get it. Some people, have, at least they have to make certain times, otherwise they don't do anything. I'm not saying don't do that, but, it's, but to have a man who basically lived his life doing hesed, this man, day in, day out, that's what he did. Nobody was paying him, it wasn't a job. He had plenty of money, he was very wealthy. He had everything in the world. He was very accomplished. He did a lot of beautiful things in his life. But that was his core. Now he's 100 years old. He's in a lot of pain. Hashem says, you know something? This man, let's give him a day off. Let's give him a day off. Hazit, every day he's, he's working. Let this be the day off. What happens? He makes, how does Hashem give him a day off? He makes it very super hot. He turns up the dial of temperature. And now it's so hot that nobody is walking the streets. What does Abraham do? He sits by the opening of the tent in the hot, in the heat, waiting for someone. Hashem realizes this man is more in pain for not helping people than he is from his surgery. So now I'm trying to help him, but in fact, I didn't help him. So Hashem says, you know something? We're going to help him now. What does Hashem do? He sends three angels. Because no, no human is coming in that temperature. He sent three angels. And you know the rest of the story. Question. Hashem doesn't do miracles for no reason. There was no reason for this miracle. To send angels that, by the way, don't need kindness. That's an unnecessary miracle. Kiriat Yamsuf was a necessary miracle. There was nowhere to go. Hashem had to split the sea. This was not necessary. The reason why there were no people that day is because Hashem made it miraculously hot. So all Hashem had to do, if He wanted to help Abraham Avinu, turn down the temperature, make it a beautiful day, and then people would come out like every day. Why did Hashem leave it hot and send angels? That's question number one. Question number two, why did Abraham want to do this kindness when he was really exempt? At the end of the day, you're patur. 
You wanted to sit in the sukkah, it's raining. It's okay, you're exempt. There's nobody here. Why is he so badly want this? What's so special? Is there anything unique about this opportunity? So I'm going to tell you now a hadush. And I hope we can appreciate it. I hope I say it in a way that we can appreciate it. I'm going to give you a story of two friends. Two friends that decided one day that they're going to start praying with a minyan in shul. They're going to go to Beth Knesset every morning. They never did that before in their life. They're going to do it every day. They're going to go to minyan and maybe they'll learn a little bit. Okay. And they're good guys. Every morning, they show up, they pray, they learn, they go. A month in, two months in, they're doing this every day. They're committed, they're doing it. They had a party the night before. They had a wedding. And usually they sleep 10, 10.30, 11. That night they went to sleep 1, 1.30. One of them, the next morning, says, listen, I have to, I have to, you know, I'm committed, I gotta go. So he comes to shul the same way he did every day. A little tired, but he comes. The other guy, he says, you know, it's, it's late, I'm tired. I, I, I go, I went for two months already. It's not late. Today, I'm taking off. Good. Now this happens, let's say, three, four, five times a year. So at the end of the day, what is the difference between these two guys? So most people would say, okay, the difference is that this guy went 360 days. And he went an extra four days, extra one day, extra two days. It's a difference of a few days. That's what me and you would think. But in the real world, that's not at all accurate. The difference between the guy who came that morning and the one who didn't come that morning isn't a difference of one day. The difference is of the entire person. The person who goes despite the difficulty of that day has shown that his level of commitment and his level of what he's doing is in a higher level every day. It shows every day you're a different person. The other days you had it easy. But you are not the same guy as that guy, even when it was easy. You got a certain title when you pushed yourself during a difficult situation and you showed your commitment. You showed your commitment for every day. It's not a difference of one day. It's a difference of every day. It raises everything that you did during the entire year. It's like a person, I'll give you an example. It's like a person who's a doctor. It's a regular doctor. He charges whatever he charges. Let's say he charges $200 a visit. Now, he goes back to school and he becomes this specialist, whatever they call them in doctors. He's a five-star doctor. When he goes back to practice, the same thing he used to do for $200, he charges $500. Well, I understand, but it's the same item. But now I'm a different doctor. I'm not the same doctor. I'm a different level of a person. The same tefillah, the same class, the same, is no longer the same. You're a different person. 
Hashem puts us in life sometimes in spiritual challenges to raise our, our, we'll call it, I don't know if I want to call it reward, but the quality of what we do every day. Hashem gives us everyday things to do and Baruch Hashem, we're doing it every day. Every day, every day you're doing it because, you, because that's what you do. And then all of a sudden Hashem throws you a curveball. And now it becomes that day much more difficult to do it. It could be in any area in life. It could be Shabbat observance where you keep every Shabbat perfectly and one Shabbat you get thrown a curveball. It could be Kashrut, it could be Tzeniot, it could be learning, it could be, it could be anything where you do it well and you're beating the challenges and Baruch Hashem, you're growing in that area and all of a sudden you get this major curveball from left field. You get Kehom Hayom. You get this very difficult situation. That's a spiritual challenge not to bring you down. That's a spiritual challenge to lift everything that you do up. And very often in those situations, we buckle and we don't step up. The Gemara says in Masechet Hagiyah, listen to this Gemara. Whoever reads this Gemara says, it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. The Gemara is explaining a pasuk in Malachi, in the Navi. It says over there that in the time of Mashiach, or the time of the Olam Abba, we will know clearly the difference between a tzaddik and a rasha, between a righteous person and a rasha. And also we will know the difference between a servant of God and those who don't serve God. So again, one more time. In this world, things are not so clear or foggy. Who's a real tzaddik? Who's a rasha? Very, very hard to know in our world today. We live in kind of a dark world. In that world, there'll be clarity. You can look at a person, you'll know. Tzaddik rasha. And you'll know who's a servant of God and who's not a servant of God. The Gemara says, what are you talking about? Isn't a tzaddik a servant of God? And isn't a rasha a, not, a person who doesn't serve God? So why are they being brought as if like they're two separate things? It's the same thing. It's describing the same person. Says the Gemara, no. Tzaddik and rasha. That's one. Now in the world of tzaddik, in the world of great people, there is a tzaddik that serves God. And that a tzaddik that doesn't serve God. The Gemara says, what? What does that mean? A tzaddik that doesn't serve God? So the Gemara says, you have one tzaddik, let's say in learning. The Gemara gives an example of learning. They're learning, and he reviewed what he's learning a hundred times. And the other guy, he was also learning with him, but he reviewed a hundred and one times. The hundred and one is the tzaddik that serves God. The hundred is a tzaddik doesn't serve God. The Gemara says, what? For one time review, could you imagine? Could you imagine you went to class for a hundred classes straight? You didn't miss once. You and your friend. You didn't miss one class. One day, it was snowy out, it was cold out, whatever it was. You stayed home. And your friend came. One. Gemara says, 
The one that comes is called tzaddik that serves Hashem, and the one that doesn't come is tzaddik that doesn't serve Hashem. So what are you talking for one? What do you say? I'm here every day. Ah, the answer is that the person who reviewed a hundred times, obviously he needs to review because he didn't get it. So he keeps reviewing and reviewing and reviewing. After a hundred, he's done. That's it. I can't wait time I'm review. The other guy says, you know something? I still don't understand it. So he pushed himself again. Me and the other guy, he, he did everything he thought he could and that was it. This guy says, you know what? But I still don't understand. So he pushed himself again. He pushed himself when it was difficult. That extra one difficult is a revelation of the entire person. When that class you came, that raised all hundred to a different level. You're not the same person, even in the hundred that passed or the hundred that are coming. Which means in life, Hashem will send you in the things that you're doing well. He'll send you a challenge. Maybe it's a charity challenge. Things are going well. You're giving charity. You're doing great. And then all of a sudden, the stock market goes down. And you lost 10% of your money. You still have money to give. But you're not in the mood now. It's hard for you. That moment, that's a great moment. Because that moment isn't only for itself. The challenge of the moments of life when things get harder is really a challenge for everything that you're doing in that area. Which makes us so clear about why Abraham Avinu doesn't want the day off that day. He doesn't want that day off. Because that day is an opportunity of a lifetime. Literally. If Abraham Avinu, on a day like that, in his condition, would step up and continue doing what he always does, he has just raised his entire being. He went from minor to major. He went from four star to five star. Not just in that act. That, that what's at stake wasn't the act of that day. Was at stake was his entire being. He's a different person. He's called Avadon. He's a different tzaddik. He did not want that moment to go by. And that's why Hashem gave him the moment. He didn't lower the temperature. Because lowering the temperature would lessen the amount of stars that he would get. He kept it hot, he kept it difficult. And when Abraham did that, it raised his entire Abraham. Abraham's chesed is not the same chesed because of that day. And perhaps the Jewish people are no longer the same because of that day. He raised everything. Those are the, some of the challenges that Hashem gives us in life. Where sometimes He makes it hard we, today we discussed a few things. We discussed a spiritual challenge when the Yetzirah is just trying to bring you down. Usually it's like lower people. Lower I mean. Now lower in, in their understanding. He tries to sell you pleasures. He tries to fool you that you're going to get more faucets his way. That's one type of 
challenge. You have to know, stand up to that. You're not getting anything more from him. He's only, look, look at the hundreds of millions of students that he has. Look at all the students that have ended up in destruction following their master. We spoke about putting yourself into challenges. That's a big no-no. That's already a failure. And we just spoke about a spiritual challenge that Hashem sends every one of us at times in life where we do things, the right things, but sometimes it gets hard. Sometimes your mother calls you on the wrong day. It's just the wrong day. You're just not in the mood that day. Maybe you always help your mom. It's just not that day. Sometimes people help you in the wrong time. It happens. Realize the opportunity. Realize that nisayon is making you shalem. It's making you so much better. It's not about that day. It's about you. It's about the greater you. You know, think about Yosef HaTzadik. Why is he called Yosef HaTzadik? The Pasuk says, Al Mechram Bekesef Tzadik. Yosef, from all the tribes, he's called Tzadik. Nobody got that name. Not Reuven, not Shimon, not Levi. Yosef, not Yehuda. Yosef, why? So we all know. The reason why he's called a Tzadik is because of one incident that he had with the woman that wanted to grab him, and he ran away. Do you know how much of his life that took? How out of Yosef's life and all his accomplishments? How long was that story? A minute? A second? Ten minutes? See, you're telling me he's named Yosef HaTzadik? Yosef the Tzadik? Because of a moment? Something that he did? For a minute? And the answer is, it wasn't a moment. That wasn't a moment. Yosef HaTzadik was generally a pure person who had a tremendous ne'emanut Hashem. He lived his life the right way. But when did all of his life transform to a higher life? When he went through that Nisayon. That Nisayon wasn't for the moment. That Nisayon graduated the entire Yosef. Yosef is no longer the same Yosef. Even when it wasn't as difficult in the future. But the level, the stars that he had for the same act, even though it was easier for him, it's already on a different level. He's already on a new plateau. He has a lot of letters next to his name now. And everything he does is much greater and much bigger. That's a nisayon that lifts us. Hashem sends nisayonot to raise us, not just for the moment. There are other types of spiritual nisayonot, and I'll finish with this. It'll be a minute. The Rambam, interestingly enough, when they count all the nisayonot of Abraham Avinu, it says in Perkei Avot, he had 10 major nisyonot, 10 major ones. It doesn't say in the Mishnah what the 10 were. The Rishonim explain, and most of them, for the most part, agree that the first one is the, 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 the nisayon that he had when 
Nimrod was so upset with him that he turned away from idol worship that he wanted to kill him. He ran after him and he threw him into a furnace. And Hashem saved him. That was a big nisayon. All the Rishonim came at when they count what was the first, what was the second, what was the third, first one? Ur Kasdim, when he got thrown into the fire. The Rambam, Allah Shalom, when he counts the first one, he skips it. He says the first one is Lech Lecha. When Hashem told him to leave his country and to go somewhere else. And all the, they ask, what's going on with the Rambam? How can Lech Lecha be a Nisayon? How can that be a great, difficult challenge? And being thrown into the fire by the Melech Nimrod, that's not counted? Now it's true, that wasn't mentioned outright in the Torah, that story. But the Rambam himself brings it when he discusses the history of Abraham Avinu, he talks about it. He said how Abraham was thrown into, was put in danger and he was saved. So the Rambam recognizes the story. It's not like he, he wrote about it. Why doesn't he count it as one of the Nisyon? It's not one of the ten. It's not like he didn't make it. How could it not make it? So I'll explain that when you know that you're doing something good, when you know what to do, and there's a Nisayon, that's not so hard. Abraham already in that time of his life knew the truth. He knew that is nonsense. Those idols are nonsense. So when he was asked to change back to the idols, he understood what needed to be done. And therefore, he had the strength to go ahead and to beat it. But the other challenges were very hard because it was so confusing. Hashem tells him by the Akedah, go slaughter your son. But wait, isn't he the boy you told me that's going to be my future? Isn't he the guy that we're waiting for all these years? You promised me that my future lineage will come from this boy. How in the world could you tell me to kill him? That doesn't make sense. I don't get it. Hashem tells him, Lech Lecha, go. What was the big Nisayon Lech Lecha? You're going to get blessings over there? The Ibn Ezra says on the Pasuk that says that Hashem, when he sent Abraham Avinu, he says, he means that Hashem, when he told Abraham Lech Lecha, he didn't tell him where he was going. Imagine this man just walking. Where am I going? Right way, wrong way, backwards, forwards. Should I stop? He doesn't know. He's just walking. So hard. Where am I going? When there was a famine, Hashem promised him, I'm going to give you the land. I'll give you the land. Then there's a famine. He has to leave the land. Only in Eretz Canaan there was a famine. Everywhere else there was great things. Hashem blessed him in that land. The Nisyonot sometimes come, and the Rambam only counts those, the ones that it's hard to understand. When you know what you need to do, even though it's hard, there's a certain strength that you have, because you just know what you need to do. 
And then you just gather, gather your strength. But sometimes in life, Hashem will send you nisyonot and you can't figure out what's going on. Why is this happening to me? Why am I being asked to do this? I can't get it. And I will end. Sometimes knowing what to do is confusing. You have to ask people. Go to a rabbi. Ask advice. Because sometimes the challenge is you don't even know what to do. When you know what to do, that's a challenge. When you don't even know what to do, that's a much bigger challenge. Hashem sometimes will send us spiritual challenges in ways that don't make sense. How many times have you heard somebody say, I don't understand. I had the best week of my life. I gave so much charity. I prayed every day. I didn't miss the minyan. I learned every day. The worst week of my life in business. The worst week of my life in business was this week. And it was the best week of my life spiritually. How many times that happened to you in a different way? Where you're doing amazing things spiritually and when you look on paper, the worst week. Nisayon. That's the Nisayon of Abraham Avinu. Sometimes Hashem will send you Nisayonot where things don't make sense. That is the Nisayon. The Nisayon is, it doesn't make sense. And the purpose of that Nisayon is to see your commitment. To see your relationship with the creator of the world. Like a father who wants to see how much his son trusts him. He wants to see how much. So he does something to trick him. He does something to make it look like the father doesn't care about his son. Or doesn't make sense. And now the kid's going to have to decide. Do I really trust my father? Or I think I trust my father? Because this is going to be a big one. How does Hashem bring us close to him? When sometimes he does things which on surface look like they don't make sense. What is going on here? Why is this happening? It doesn't make sense. It's against what happened yesterday. It's against what I'm doing. That is in Nisan. The Rambam doesn't count Ur Kasdim. That was obvious. Okay, you want to serve idols or go and die? I'm going to die. I, I know what I have to do. There's no question about that. It's hard, but I know what I have to do. But when I'm given a difficulty that I don't even understand what's happening, I'm so confused. What's going on? And I still hold on. And I still accept. And I still move forward. And I still do the right things. Despite the challenge, those are nisyonot that raise the person again to a different stratosphere. That's what it means, asana nisyonot. Avram had many nisyonot, but there were 10 that were like mind-boggling. How is he going to put up with all that? Those are Nisayonot of Abraham Avinu. The, the last Nisayon, by the way, the last Nisayon of Abraham Avinu, most Mepharshim say, what was it? The Akedah. Hashem told him, Atayadati. Now I know that you're going to be you're a great man. You're willing to offer your son? But Rabbeinu Yonah says no. That's only the ninth one. Rabbeinu Yonah says the tenth one is how he dealt with the burial of Sarah right after the Akedah. And they ask, that's bigger than the Akedah. Usually when we think of a test, it's like you graduate this one, next one, next one. After the Akedah, what was the next one? The burial of Sarah, that was the big deal. How he handled himself with Ephron, how polite he was, how well, how he had Emunah, he didn't. But what's the big deal? 
One of the answers, oh, this is the end. One of the answers is sometimes the spiritual battles are the easy things, believe it or not. Sometimes the harder things are just easier. Because like you know, you're in for a challenge. You're in for something difficult. I'm gonna dig in the ground my sneakers, my shoes, and I'm gonna make it work. I know this is gonna be hard. I just know. Therefore, I'm stepping up. But very often, the small things in life, we don't pay attention to as much. Abraham by the Akedah, wow, that was, he really had to dig into that one. That was a major item. Right after that, the salesman's talking to him, Ephron. How's he going to deal with him? He talk nicely to him. He's going to get angry with him. Is he going to be respectful? How's he going to handle himself in an everyday situation that doesn't seem to be calling for heroic acts? Sometimes the small hellos and the small smiles and the small things that we do every day are the biggest challenges because we don't even realize they're a challenge. Because we're here we're after we leave this class, we're waiting for something big. Okay, okay, I'm waiting. What's the big thing that's going to come? And then someone walks right by and you ignore them. Oh, oh, what do you mean? That was it. Sometimes that could be it. That, that's the challenge. Sometimes because things are so small, they seem to be irrelevant. But they're not. That was the tenth one. When he got to the top after the Akedah, he did the most amazing thing. And he's paying attention to the salesman trying to beat him out of money. And he's still being respectful to him. When you pay attention to the small things, the small people, the things that don't seem to me so big, sometimes they're the biggest too. That is the Nisayon. So Nisayonot of spirituality come in different colors, in different ways, in different strengths. We need to be on guard. We need to be aware. There's an enemy that's constantly looking after us. We can always fall. And we should never, ever feel that it's beyond us. And we should never put ourselves in a situation where it may very well be beyond us. Be'ezrat Hashem, we will walk in the ways of Hashem and we will be shalem. Amen.